Welcome to Creative in Tech. Powered by Reed Speaker. Technology is constantly evolving, and the companies that adapt win. In this podcast, you'll hear from companies and thought leaders across various verticals who blend the art and science in one of the biggest growing spaces in technology, conversational AI. You'll hear how they're creating the touchtone experiences that will define the next generation of customer strategy. Join me, Carrie Roberts, your host for this podcast and the brand evangelist for North America at readspeaker.ai as we explore the intersection of creative and tech. Welcome to Branding Innovators, a live video podcast series event that is coming to you from the Creative and Tech podcast show powered by readspeaker.ai. I am your host and moderator for this event. My name is Carrie Roberts, and I am the brand evangelist for North America at readspeaker.ai. And today we are talking about how to use your branding and marketing in creative ways. And I am joined by Lynn Casey. She is the founder and CEO of Shine Scout. So excited to have you here, Lynn. Welcome. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm excited to be here. Now, you have been kind of in this space for a long time. I would love to know just a little bit about you in terms of what excites you about branding and marketing and innovation as a whole. Uh, 110%. Um, So first, you know, I founded Shine Scout because I really felt that no one was helping companies and brands really navigate that intersection between insight and innovation, right? So really sort of catalyzing or crystallizing that aha moment that like, oh my gosh, that's what a customer really wants. That's where consumers really trying to go and understanding how to meet them in that space. Um, I always sort of point all the way back to the original, my origins of being in marketing. Um, I was a little assistant account executive on Folgers Coffee and we were up in Portland, Maine and customers were talking about their coffee experience. And what I noticed, Carrie, is not one person ever talked about the taste of a coffee. Not one. I was like, what? Like, what is happening here? Not one person. They talked about wearing their comfy bathrobe and their their beautiful handmade ceramic mug and the breeze coming off the lake. And that's when I realized that branding and marketing were about creating those sort of rich, special, meaningful experiences for consumers around products and services that they wanted. So that big sort of push out into a metaverse of all of our senses um, really, really excited me and made me want to be a part of that. I love that. And in terms of, you know, branding and marketing, they go hand in hand, but they are separate. So I would love to know how do you define branding? How do you define marketing? And then how do you see those two come together? Kind of a little bit expanding off of what you just said. Yeah. So first, let's take a step back and answer that, that the one of the most difficult questions of all, which is what is a brand? Um, a brand is not a product. It, it, it never has been. It is not a product. It is not a service. That's not how people come into contact with the brands um, that they want to bring into their lives. You know, lots of different uh, pundits have answered this question as a collection of memories, experiences, and touch points. I, I'd like to sort of jump on a, a bit of language we're using today, which is metaverse. Because that's what I believe a brand is. It's a metaverse. It's showcasing experiences, emotions, feelings, um, ways of being 
that are digital, that are physical, that touch on all those arenas that we human beings are playing in today, especially with the pandemic, where as much of our life is digital in a joyful way, not in a you know forced Zoom march way, but places and spaces where we play, whether that's Instagram stories or TikTok, whether that's on Discord um, or looking at our Whoop, it's we swim in these seas. And a brand has to participate in all of those seas. Now, what marketing does, marketing helps open the doors to where that brand is living, right? So if I'm a human being moving along my customer journey, my trajectory, and I really want to have certain experiences, marketing helps introduce me to those brands, to those services that are going to enhance, make better the journey that I'm on. I like that. That's sort of how I Yes, I love that definition. And I like the word metaverse as well. You know, in the last couple of conversations we've had, we've been talking about that as well. It's not just a logo, it's an experience. There are a lot of different pieces that kind of make up how you integrate with the brand and how you market as well. Um, You know, this series is called Branding Innovators. Uh, You know, things in marketing, I mean, things in general are constantly changing. I think a lot of people get confused. They get overwhelmed. What do I do? What do I not do? Do I just do it to have it? You know, there's a lot of confusion in terms of strategy, uh, where to start new things and where not to. So um, what would you say, like, how can a company find maybe creative ways to think outside of the box in terms of showcasing their brand and marketing it in innovative ways? So I love your idea of, you know, innovation out of the box sort of ways, because if there's one arena, and I'm going to start with the end here, if there's one arena that I don't think brands are doing enough of, is this idea of surprise and delight. You know, if we go all the way back, I'm being super old school here, but if we remember, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Variety is on there. And what is the one thing that I think that we have been in dire need of during this pandemic? It's variety, right? I'm not going into shops and stores. I'm not running into people at the movie theater. I'm not trying new restaurants necessarily, right? We are hungry for variety because it's part of what makes us human. So surprise, delight in doing something new and innovative is absolutely feeding that need for variety right? Um, you know, if you go all the way back to Coachella, where there was a holograph of Tupac, and everyone was like, whoa, it, it, there was so much about that that was amazing and wonderful, right? And also the fact that you had to be there to have that experience, right? So I think giving people that sort of wow factor, that feeling of joy um, is, is really sort of mission critical. So I think there's two things brands need to think about. Authenticity, Who am I authentically? Who am I really? And then extension. How can I extend that authentic self into programs, places, spaces, voices, you know, all the different spokes on the wheel? Um, So a great example I like to give is Ikea. All right. So everybody knows Ikea. So this is an easy one. But so Ikea, what is Ikea? Ikea is a democratic feeling Swedish-based company that makes inexpensive furniture, right? Well, IKEA's brand mission is to help people live the best life possible, right? So that touches for them on sustainability, right? Um, ease of getting the products, which extended to buying TaskRabbit, 
so that we weren't like gnashing our teeth because we couldn't put the things together. How am I enhancing people's lives? That would be TaskRabbit, right? How am I helping people envision a better, brighter future? Creating innovation labs, right? Working with the Royal School of Art in England to create an open source sofa that people could add their own stuff onto around the world, right? It's being that quirky Swedish brand that we know we they are by offering Swedish language lessons on YouTube during the pandemic as something parents can do, but also kind of making them laugh because it's like, of course, Ikea would offer, you know, Swedish language lessons. So they take who they are, you know, quirky, democratic, authentic, and then they build off all of those different spokes. You know, if you call the Ikea, you know, helpline, you will get Swedish language lessons while you're on hold. Makes sense, right? And you're kind of cracking up, but yet it's like weirdly practical and very Ikea. So understanding who they are and expanding that voice, expanding that message into every single touch point. That's, that's how you build your brand. I think one of the challenges that a lot of people have is, is maybe they don't have the growth or open mindset. Um, or in maybe a larger corporation, they feel like, they don't want to take that risk. You know, there might be someone that says, oh, well, whoever thought of let's do, you know, Swedish lessons. They might be like, what, what is that? What are we going to get from that? What's the point of that? And those creative ideas kind of get pushed aside a lot of times. Do you have any suggestions for organizations where that growth mindset or that kind of ability to take risks is challenging? Are there ways to kind of get over that so people feel like it's not as scary? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a couple little tricks up my sleeve. I mean, number one, always have case studies, right? So it is frightening to take big chances. I've worked a lot in CPG. I've worked with Procter & Gamble and General Mills, um, Reebok, companies that sort of sit in a much more sort of mainline space who don't necessarily want to take the big chances, right? And so, but they're always envious of these upstart brands that seem to sort of, you know, run forward. So it's what can we learn and why did that work? And then how can we utilize some of that thinking? But I I think you can't get caught up in tactics and that's cheap and easy. Everyone's like, oh, I want to do that because someone else did that. It's like, okay, stop. Who are we? Who are we truly? Like what's in our DNA? Um, look at Cheerios. What does is, what is Cheerios mean? Cheerios means home. Cheerios means family. Cheerio means childhood, right? But then we all looked at how that brand evolved, right? Just to show interracial families, right? To, to show gay and lesbian families. To show family is something that encompasses all sorts of people and places and spaces, right? So they kept pushing their narrative without changing the DNA, right? So understand who you are, but look at other people that you admire and always, always, always be tracking where culture is going. I am crazy about understanding current culture and where that bubble is going. I mean, let's all look at kale, right? 10 years ago, (laughs) Kale was something you decorated your, you know, Thanksgiving table with, right? <laughs> like I live in Los Angeles. Kale is cost of entry. If I don't have some sort of kale in every single one of my meals, I think they make me leave. <laughs> so understand what's sort of, you know, nudging people forward. But if you're not a part of change and if you're not a part of the future, you're not going to exist. I don't have to tell you, Carrie, that the world is a noisy, noisy place, 
And if brands aren't evolving and meeting people on their journey where they're going, they're no longer going to be relevant. I, I mean, again, I 100% agree with you. I think, you know, when I talk to people at other organizations, the challenge is though, you have a group of people that believe that, that are doing that. And then there's a group of people who don't for whatever reason. So then there's kind of that battle. Is there any way to kind of get people that feel uncomfortable or unsure to come to that side and say, we have to take chances. We have to push the envelope and try something any suggestions on how to get them to think that way? Or is that maybe not you know, the right group of people to put together? No, 100% because those people exist in every single organization, right? So there's a couple tricks. And I, I do lots of work with, with big companies. I'll, I'll, I'll give you two examples. Um, one, Ace Hardware, which you're like, really? And it's like, yes. So when we started down a, a, the road with Ace... You know, they've been in declining sales for over seven years. So what's good about that is people uh, have an urgency to create and change, right? So what we do is we get everyone in the room to agree on what is it they want to accomplish? What's the five-year plan? Is it to survive or thrive? Most people are going to want to say thrive, right? So then we have to figure out. So we've all agreed on where we're going. Now we just have to figure out how to get there, right? Then we go out and do some insight work. What's happening with the target, right? What is it that they're wanting? What is it that they're reaching for? Where are we seeing movement and opportunity within that territory, right? And then how can we authentically intersect with their journey in a way that's going to break through? Because if you don't do something a little bit different or a little bit bold, no one's going to hear you or see you, right? So ultimately at the end of a two-year process, we closed every single ACE store for three days and completely rebuilt those stores to reflect how people wanted to experience home design, home creation, and what all that meant. Um, That was a very challenging journey to get 3,000 retailers to agree to close their doors, to agree to a much bigger vision. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, but at the end, we all knew where we wanted to go. And I just kept bringing the data forward. Like here's, you know, we did all this ethnographic work. Here's what customers are saying. Here's what they're gravitating to. Um, another trick I like to use that I find really effective, and I did this with Mattel, take people out of their own businesses. When you're in your own business, if I'm working with Mattel, if I had talked about making the next toy, all I would have heard of was, we tried that, can't do it, you know, been there, done that, right? And I get it because they already know all the obstacles that are in their way. So I just scrapped that. It's like, that's great. We're going to push this all to the side. So I showed them videos and and wonderful little documentaries about, you know, girls ages six to 10 and what their lives were like. And I said, okay, now that we know that I divided them into two groups and these are all the, the leaders. And I had one group build a hotel for girls. And I had the other group make the blockbuster summer movie for girls. And I put them in groups and they went to town. And you're so creative because you're playing outside of your own responsibilities in your space. And at the end, they see what's possible. And a lot of those ideas are transferable, right? So you ignite the creative juices. You get people excited. You eliminate the responsibility of, oh my God, like I know what legal is going to say. You know, I know what R&D is going to say. Play in a space where they don't have that responsibility imaginations run wild. Um, and that's a tactic that I've used time and time again. Um, so that was Mattel. What I did most recently with StockX, which is the big new resale platform um, for sneakers, 
we had a lot of sort of hemming and hawing about how bold that we needed to be exactly to your point, Carrie. And what we did is we looked at brands that had kind of sat in that space and ultimately had failed. And I, I talked about Tom's, Tom's Shoes and Tom's Coffee. Like, why did that stop working? Because they stopped innovating. And then we talked about a brand in that space, in that sort of e-commerce digital space that continues to innovate and continues to grow, which was Chewy.com, right? You know, Chewy didn't offer, hey, you can get inexpensive dog food. I mean, why would you go against Amazon that way? They talked about caring. They talked about having, you know, 24-hour people on staff to answer your pet questions, Um, vets on staff to, to talk to you about, like, potential medical issues, Right. They surprised you with treats for, you know, Bowie, your dog, because we knew your dog's name, right? So they understood that very personal, emotional relationship people have with their pets. And that's why they've continued to grow. So giving people really clear examples, right? And letting them play outside of their own responsibilities are two tricks um, or tactics I like to use. I like that a lot. You know, the other thing I would say is um, when you say, you know, they kind of put that brand into their marketing as your Chewy example and they saw results. How long would you say that they did that before they saw results? What is the expectation when you have a marketing team that is supposed to show numbers? What is the expectation to show that this is working in a time frame? Yeah. So I think we're in a really good moment in time, Carrie, because I think, you know, in the early days of social, it was a numbers game, right? Metrics, metrics, metrics. And it was how many eyeballs, how many eyeballs, how many eyeballs. And what we've started to realize is that views can be pretty meaningless. Um, there's been a big shift. I like to look at Asia a lot. So Asia sort of brought us, you know, key influence leaders, uh, Coles, as we call them. And we've now seen a shift, and I think this is global, from this idea of, of interacting with these sort of high-level influencers and getting those sort of millions of numbers into looking at something that's a lot more narrow and deep. So I think we've moved from this idea of, of views to much more about engagement, right? So what level of engagement am I, am I seeing? So it's awareness, it's engagement, and then it's that sort of evangelicism, right? Where it's like, wow, I saw this and I want to share it. I saw this and I want to be a part of it. I saw this and I want to participate in it, right? So it's a multi-step process and it's a longer tail. Um, and I think marketers are really beginning to understand that it's not going to be one hit. It's like, choose your lane, build it thoughtfully and carefully, and then move through it. And as long as you're talking to the right people and listening to the right people, um, it makes a big difference. You know, you see brands like Gucci and Balenciaga, and I'm thinking fashion because it's New York Fashion Week, so it's kind of top of mind. Um, but, you know, they've opened these sort of pop-up experiential places. And what's different this year is they drop them into like Bed-Stuy, out in Brooklyn, um, into small communities, Astoria, Queens, and they haven't pushed them with influencers, right? They're letting their own communities find them and then promulgate them. So it's super authentic. And that key customer feels like they own it, right? It's the same as putting, you know, being able to buy Gucci or Versace clothing in games, right? It's like giving people access to something, you know, they want, giving them a taste of it and then letting them kind of co-create with you. So I think it's a, a really different game right now. I think there's a longer tail to it. Um, so I would just recommend, again, follow the leaders, look at the brands that are winning, understand that you have to allow customers to sort of adopt 
and share and, and track that. I'm not saying numbers don't count, but I'm saying we have to look at numbers differently. And it's a longer time frame, like you it's said. This, is, this isn't, a, you know, in a couple months. The expectation is, okay, I've I've done some branding and marketing. I should be seeing sales. It's something that takes a much longer period of time, where there's some sort of creativity, but also consistency. Correct? Creativity, consistency, and, and Carrie, something you and I talked about at the beginning of of our our chat today is this idea of authenticity and really if brands have become an extension of who I am or who I want to be, and that's how I look at a brand, right? I can't be at all places at all times. It's, I so remember this moment. Um, we were doing a project. It was for a mother's brand. I, I it might've been Del Monte and I had a group of millennial moms, um, and I had them sort of write down uh, something, a speech that they were giving because they had gotten, you know, a person of the year award 10 years down the road. And, uh, to a man, every woman said, I- I've run a marathon. Um, you know, I've helped people out and I've started a charity that, and they had great ideas about these charities. They funded a charity. And so at the end of all this, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, first of all, go to all you potential marathon runners. But amazing that you're all starting charities. And then one by one, I watched everyone in the room get sad. And they were like, you know, I know I'm not going to be able to do that. I've got kids. I've got a part-time job. Therefore, I'm deputizing my brands. I'm deputizing those companies that I deem worthy to, you know, partner with me on this, you know, game of life to act for me, right? Almost think of them as an avatar. So they're going to go forth and make the social changes, do the hard work and the heavy lifting with their dollars and their power that I as an individual can't. But I can by handing you, Carrie, it's like, here's my dollar. I'm asking you to go do this work for me. And brands have the opportunity to step up and do that in all sorts of ways, whether that's bringing joy and delight, you know, Coca-Cola and friendship, right? Or actually making a difference, you know, by pulling out of Chicago, by protesting what's going on in Texas, whatever that might be. It's understanding that you're acting as a deputy for the customer who's trusting you. I like that. I haven't thought about it in that way before that it's like, even if some individual can't achieve something on their own, they can feel a part of it through what the brand is doing, whether that's like you said, donating money, or maybe they do, they do an event or something that's associated with them. Well, that's why it takes longer. You know, think about it. If, if, and especially when we look at Gen Z, right. And it was like, Oh, you know, they're skeptical. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're practical. They're realists and they are going to make the changes we wish we had made. And let's remember who their parents were. Their parents were Gen X, right? So they've inherited that healthy skepticism that, hmm, do I really trust corporate America, right? So before they're going to buy a pair of Nikes, they're going to look into our products still being made in sweatshops. What are Nike's policies towards, you know, pregnant females and promoting DEI from within? Like they're going to do their homework. They do their homework with every single brand that they partner with. So, you know, what's their sustainability practices? That's not something you make at shelf. You don't go, wow, cute kids. They go back and they do their homework. And so that process takes time. And it also takes time for that brand to build that trust and to make sure they're being authentic to whatever values they have written on the wall, you know, when you walk into their corporate headquarters. Yes, I am grateful you are saying this. I think, again, it's it's a conversation that needs to be happening more often. I think people talk about it, but it's always brand is always pushed aside. 
um, because of what needs to be done now or the numbers. But like you said, it's, it's something that needs to be done. You have to be creative. You have to be authentic. And it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, if, is there a time frame that you would say that maybe a brand is doing something or some sort of marketing and they know it's not working? Like, how do you know the difference between something's not working versus I haven't been doing it long enough to see if it's working yet? I think that's the power and beauty of social, right? So I think you can know right away if you're hitting an incorrect note, right? Now, again, let's go back to Nike for, for a moment, you know, with a, Colin Kaepernick whole situation, you might say, ooh, that was a bad move on their part. There was a whole lot of outrage, but they understood who they needed to be for their future audience, right? They always had to be on the right of social justice, of doing the right thing, right? So even though, yes, there are people saying, I'm going to burn my Nikes and, you know, this is ridiculous. They understood the long game that my future is with millennials and Gen Zs and millennials and Gen Zs really value social justice doing the right thing. And guess what? You know, within three months, those numbers had rebounded, right? So they were willing to sort of roll the dice, but you're going to know within 24 hours if something is slightly off, right? And then what's beautiful is we all have the ability to A-B test, to tweak things, to see if that's getting better resonance. Um, The other thing that I think is really powerful that a lot of the brands that I work with are doing these days is you have your key customer base, right? And you can always check with them. Now, I don't mean that core of customers that we all hear about where people are like, oh, we're going to make a change and it's going to upset everybody. It's like, is it? Like if your sales are dwindling and people aren't purchasing and you need to make a change, should we really be worrying about upsetting those people? They'll come along if the products are still good, if your efforts are still real, but you have to step into the future and you have to be a little bit brave. So I would say like, you know, certainly within a month to, you know, a week to two weeks, you can start to gauge if you've really had a wrong note, if people are upset, if if this feels inauthentic to who you are and what you're doing. But ideally... You should be able to go six months to a year and allow something to really promulgate and build and take you in this long-term direction that you're trying to go in. Yes. No, I thank you for clarifying that as well. Um, You know, we called this again, the branding innovators. And the part of that is we are seeing a lot of new technologies come into play. Voice technology, VR, AR, all of this stuff. It's here. It's coming. It's improving. Um, You know, are you seeing kind of companies use some of this and in what capacity? And are there ways that we can use this to allow brands to stand out so they can keep their branding and marketing a little bit fresh? A hundred and ten percent. You know, it's so interesting to me, Carrie, you know, you get brands who sort of, oh, you know, people don't want us to play in that space. I'm like, that's not true. No one is defining the space you play in except yourself, right? If we take that old fashioned world of like omni-channel. I remember when that was the big word 10 years ago. Again, think of it as a metaverse, right? So everything is the message. Everything is the message from a mnemonic, like a musical mnemonic when I think of a brand to what the chat box sounds like if I actually do a live call, right? To the music that plays underneath the bed. I mean, all these things are incredibly shareable to, you know, the the sponsors that I pick. So, you know, it's, it's funny. Do you know, we transfer, it's a a file sharing device. Yeah. So 
Stella McCartney started to run like these beautiful multidimensional ads in WeTransfer. Why? Because 70% of the people who use WeTransfer, this wire transfer methodology, are creative people trying to move big visual files. Makes sense for her to find those people there, right? So that's sort of genius. And it, could you imagine presenting that media plan saying, hey, I think we should buy a whole bunch of, you know, space and we transfer. Like, what are you even talking about? Is that even a thing, right? So it's, again, understanding who you are and where your customer is. When I think of things like AR and AI, I'll, I'll give you two examples. You know, Burger King, I think, has crushed it from the beginning. They understand who their audience always has been, you know, 20-something or older teenager males, right? So there's something that's very sort of, they, they're, they're a scam, they're a renegade, um, they pull tricks on people. So going all the way back to subservient chicken, which people thought was AR, right? They thought like, oh my God, I'm telling it what to do. And, and obviously this was old days. They just filmed like 600 variations. And you know, when you told it to do something, it was just acting on voice prompts. But all the way up to, you know, they ran a, they had an app, a mobile app in Mexico, where if you were stuck in traffic, you could use their digital app to voice order food that was delivered to your car by a motorcycle, right? Or they had another app that had a, um, AR command on it where you could burn competitors' coupons. It simulated it burning down and underneath was a coupon for a, a you know, Burger King sandwich. Um, we all remember there, you know, that incredible commercial that said, okay, Google, what's a Whopper, right? So there's all these, you know, incredible ways of playing within that persona. I like that. And it's interesting too, like you said, um, you know, Burger King, such a global brand. We don't, we're in the US, you and myself. So you don't think about something like that. So just because we don't have that here, maybe it doesn't work here. doesn't mean it can't work somewhere else. You know, looking at the demographics and who you're trying to target and what's going on in the culture and trying different things. So I like that you're kind of sharing, you know, that these brands are doing different things in different parts of the world as well. Well, and think about it. If you're a, a baby brand and a mom is, is trying to nurse a fussy baby, could you imagine if you had a, a product container that I could, you know, tap or, or shift or do something to and a lullaby would play? Like, think of all the ways. One of the things I did, I was working on a homeopathic brand and we came up with the idea of having glow in the dark writing on the box. So mom's not turning on a light that wakes up the baby to figure out dosage, right? So insert yourself in that person's journey, in their environment, and think of all the ways from voice to sound to touch to smell that are going to enhance where they are and make you an asset on their journey. Yes. It's never the product. So I know we're talking about branding and marketing, but I do want to just put in sales here for a moment because there's always conversation. You know, it's always brand market sell. They all connect in some capacity, but they're different things. You know, how do you, what is the responsibility of marketing in terms of sales? What should the expectation should be of brand to the market, to the selling? Should it be something that when I see it, I should be able to purchase something right away? Or what is your take on this as a whole? Well, I, I am, you know, unless you're doing a tease campaign, I'm not a big fan of marketing something that's not available. That's, that's a bit of a disaster. And we've seen that again, going back to fashion. We've, we've seen that in sort of a shift from the 
we're showing you, you know, what we're going to be selling to you in three to four months. That stopped working. And that's why brands like Zara and H&M and Forever 21, say what you will about fast fashion, started to win the game because we see it, we want it, we close it. And then we move on. I mean, that's who we are. To that point, you know, Virgil Abloh, who was on the board at, you know, for the Met Gala, which is coming up, um, he's going to sell everything he makes for the Met Gala, like within 24 hours of the Met Gala, right? So there's absolutely been a shift. Um, marketing is certainly the most powerful sales tool. You and I both know there's lots of other pieces. Um, we've all been parts of like incredible multi-tiered campaigns and then the product somehow doesn't get to shelf, right? Or there's a problem with packaging. We all know that we're in supply chain pinch right now. But I think what's really important is figuring out how to help people where they are with what they want, right? So we've seen some incredible moments like with CVS and Walgreens when people couldn't find the product that they wanted, offering other products, even though at the end of the day, it, it, it hurt their business, but serving that need, right? So I think it's it's sort of being holistic to understanding what people want and how do you show up? And if we go back to how Amazon first made its headway, remember all those stories where people were like, I needed the hot toy for, you know, my, for Christmas and they found it for me. So being in service to where people are going. Um, I think marketing can and should be given a much larger part of the real estate for most corporations. I think marketing should sit at the table when, how is the product shape vessel being created? What does the packaging look like? What part of the store is it going to sit in, right? Where should I intersect with the product? So I think marketing minds, which really sit, we serve as a witness for the customer, right? So I, I believe marketing should absolutely have a seat at the table all the way through the process, um, which is going to make for a more impactful, successful product at the end of it. Because again, we understand the journey that people are on and what it is they're actually looking for, not just what we can make. Yes. Well, I think it always goes back to, you know, it's good that we, when we work for organizations, we're all working in our area, but sometimes we do get siloed and it's important to kind of, I mean, we're talking about metaverse in terms of brand. I would assume in an organization, that's equally important for everybody to not be maybe in every single meeting, but understand what's going on and have those touch points be just a part of the whole organization. 110%. And because by letting people understand what's going on in the world, what's going on with their customer, who are they currently connecting with, that helps inform decisions all the way along so that you don't come to that place where all of a sudden it's in front of marketing and marketing goes, oh, wait, this is what we want to do. And it sounds like we're saying stop. If we're initially in those conversations from the get-go, then the whole process becomes in service to that journey. You know, I, I've been doing a lot of work with Facebook. And one of the things that we all learned collectively was you have the most talented engineers on the planet working for a company like Facebook. They can make anything. Um, and so they were because they could. That doesn't mean you carry or I necessarily had to use for those products, right? So when they started to understand, and we did a ton of field work collectively with, with teams of leaders, and I took them out into the world, when they started to realize that people really wanted these connection tools and service to actually connecting, that was like, boom. And so we started to shift the whole trajectory of what we were making and why, and then how it was marketed. So 
being a part of those early stage conversations allow for a much more organic and I believe successful process. Yeah, no, I I love, you know, the examples you're giving um, in real life and what some of these larger brands are trying to look at and do, because I think that that's pertinent and it's something people can take back. Do you have maybe, I know you were saying you don't love tactics, but maybe some actionable tips that as people are listening to this, that they can take back to their office or brand on ways that they can incorporate their brand into marketing so it's most effective? Maybe one or two actionable tips or thoughts that you have for them. I think the most valuable thing I've ever done in my own career is bringing current consumer culture to the table, right? So really helping people understand what's going on in the world from an emotional standpoint, right? So... You know, over the past two years, what have people really been looking for? You know, safety, trust, connectivity, right? Um, I gave a talk, I want to say a month ago for StockX and we had Ariana Huffington and Daniel Ashram and and some great people to talk about the main factors that a a billion dollar company like StockX had to be aware of. And I talked about localism, right? We're so hungry as we're living in this big sort of global uh, online soup. We're so hungry to have a place and a space like physically, literally with people that know us and that we know. So how do we take a trend like localism and apply that to our offer? You know, is that pop-ups? Is that partnerships? Is that connecting with, you know, boots on the ground and we can be sort of that big sort of umbrella that helps feed that boots on the ground, right? There's always a way to connect with what people want, but we have to be clever. So really being aware of what, as I said, you know, current consumer culture, where is it going? You know, what are people in service to? So keeping your fingers on that pulse, I think is incredibly valuable. And then making sure that the heavy lifting has been done around what's your DNA? What is your value? Like, what do you exist to to create in the world? You know, again, working with Ace, what I kept bringing them back to is what are you selling? Confidence. It's all you're selling is confidence. So how does confidence show up? How do we offer confidence? right? From the way a store is laid out. So I'm like, oh, that's what I need. And then that's what I need. And that's what I need to getting home and going, oh my God, why did I think I knew how to do this? And the manager of the store had a label on my campaign, whatever I bought with a hundred percent call me if you get stuck, right? All these things create confidence. So someone sitting at a board table may not say, when say, oh, that's not your product. It's like, yes, it is. That is my product. And when I can connect with people on an emotional level, I'm going to come back again and again and again because how I made them feel. Yes, I I'm, I get excited about this stuff. Obviously, as a brand person myself, I think you know we've heard in these last three discussions with everyone is that same theme of the emotional connection is so important. And that brand isn't what you want it to be. It's how other people kind of view you and feel you. Um, And I think it's, you know, harping that in and and having people like yourself come in and talk about this from larger brands that are doing this showcases, you know, how maybe mid to smaller size companies or even entrepreneurs can do it in their own way. So I appreciate you saying that. If people want to connect with you, they want to learn more about anything we spoke about, where is the best place to do that? So you can always go to my website, which is www.shinescout.com. Um, I also put out a weekly newsletter where I talk exactly about the trends um, that I've mentioned earlier, what's happening, whether it's with Gen Z 
whether it's happening globally. And then I always have four or five um, sort of cogent examples of things on the cutting edge that are showcasing where marketing is going, where trends is going. So that's the Scout Look. And you can find that on the website as well. So when you go to the website, you can sign up. It's free. It comes out every week. Um, and I'm just trying to give people ideas and glimpses um, and shiny bits into the stuff that's lighting me up and lighting up my clients. I love it. Perfect. I mean, that just goes with everything we just spoke about, you really living your authenticity and your truth. So I appreciate it. I thank you so much, Lynn, for being here and sharing your insight. And I'm excited to subscribe to the newsletter and definitely learn more as well. I hope so. And thank you for having me. I I am passionate about this stuff. Love talking about it. Thank you so much. If you are watching and listening, don't forget to subscribe to our Read Speaker AI YouTube channel for all of our videos, as well as our audio podcast, Creative and Tech, wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget our two other talks tomorrow for Branding Innovators. See you then. Thank you for listening to Creative and Tech. Want to learn more about conversational AI, text-to-speech, or be notified of our upcoming episodes and events? Learn more at readspeaker.ai.